Well, we're taking a break from our series in the book of Mark to explore the book of Jonah. So if you would, open to the book of Jonah with me. The title of the message this morning is Jonah and his conflict with God. And before we jump in, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for gathering us again this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what we we see of you in your word. Thank you for the book of Jonah and all that we learn about you through Jonah's struggle. Father, we pray that you would just continue to work in our hearts. Put your finger on areas, Lord, of of rebellion, of of stubbornness, of self-pity, of anger, of resentment, of prejudice. The very things that Jonah was struggling with. Lord, put your, your finger on those areas of our own, in our own lives, we pray. Help us to see the beauty of who you are, Lord, as we look at your character, your compassion and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Valerie and I were on an airplane just this week, but a couple years ago, we were on an airplane, and I remember she, she was looking really nervous, and I said to her, Val, God is sovereign. Why are you so nervous? She said, that's actually what I'm so nervous about, because it could be God's sovereign will for us to go down today. And that's kind of where we find Jonah. He's bothered by what he knows about God. We could say to Jonah, Jonah, chill out. God is compassionate. And his response to us would be, I know. That's what I'm so nervous about. It's the middle of the 8th century BC. Israel's borders, and Israel is uh, made up of the 10 northern tribes. We've got the two southern tribes of Judah and the 10 northern tribes of Israel. Jonah was a prophet to the ten northern tribes. Well, those borders have been expanded by King Jeroboam II, like they were in the times of King Solomon. So things were going well for Israel. Things were flourishing. And Jonah even prophesied that this would take place. But they had a neighboring nation, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, who had established a hundred-year-old reputation throughout the ancient world as a cruel enemy. Detailed carved images and writings have been found describing some of the gruesome ways the Assyrians would torture. Tens of thousands were killed and just as many brought into labor camps. The flaying of skin, the cutting off of heads and extremities, the burning of children. I mean, this is the stuff of headlines in Jonah's day. It doesn't get more horrifying than this. And the Assyrians, they boasted in it. And these are the people Jonah was called to. They were an in-your-face enemy. They were an in-your-face, we threaten to wipe you out enemy. Jonah has no guarantee they won't capture and kill him. He knows that if he does this, if he obeys God's call to go to the Ninevites, that he would most likely be despised in Israel. Then if Nineveh repents, he knows that it could mean Assyrian domination. Was Jonah torn by the call? No, he was tormented by it. This is an exhausting story. It's filled with drama, tension, irony, humor. It's brilliant. Let's read chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. 
After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. We'll pause there. First thing we see in this story is a reluctant Jonah who runs away from the Lord. He receives this word from the Lord to proclaim judgment on the most powerful city in the world whose military might threatened to conquer Israel and its neighbors. He received this call from God to enter the most hostile environment of his day. Wow, God, thanks for that invite, right? What kind of invitation is that? We expect obedience, though, from Jonah. I mean, he's, he's a prophet of the Lord. We expect a faithful response. We expect him to do what God has called him to do. But Jonah does the opposite. Jonah literally heads in the opposite direction to a city located off the coast of Spain on the Mediterranean Sea. In Jonah's mind, this would have been as far away from the presence of the Lord that he could have imagined. And that's where he wanted to go. Right away, we feel the tension and we see the conflict, don't we? Now, questions might begin to fill our minds. And why is Jonah doing this? These are good questions. But verse 3 is clear. Jonah ran away from the Lord. And in painful detail, verse 3 describes Jonah's getaway plan. Here it is. I'm going to go down to Joppa and find a ship. I'm going to find a ship bound specifically for the port of Tarshish. I'm going to pay the fare, get on board, and I'm not looking back. That was Jonah's getaway plan. It was thoughtful rebellion. He was running from God's will. He wanted nothing to do with God's plan, so he filled his life and his schedule with thoughts of his own plans. Now, church, we can fill our lives with lists of endless distractions. Have you ever run from what you knew God was calling you to do? It doesn't feel good. It's like running from your own shadow. I mean, you can't outjuke your shadow. You can't outjuke God. He's right there. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, he's there. In this story, I picture a fretful, sweaty Jonah on the docks of, of Joppa, like a thief running from detectives hot on his trail. I mean, he hears the hounds, they're coming. He's looking around feverishly as he purchases his ticket to get on board the ship. Have you made your plans to run? Are you presently running from the Lord? Where do you go, really go to flee from God? Could be a place, could be a person, could be a group of people, could be your computer. It could be food, it could be video games or alcohol or vacation or fantasy. 
Do you feel God has asked you to do what you can't do? And that's where Jonah's at. God has asked Jonah to do something that he just, he doesn't believe he can do it. Is God being unrealistic with you with what he's requesting of you? I don't know what you're facing today. Only God really knows. I don't know the internal struggles that you're having. Whether he's calling you to walk a a life, he's calling all of us to walk a lifestyle of holiness and you're wrestling with that, that call of purity and holiness. And you might even feel, man, this is unrealistic, God, that you're calling me to this. And you just run in the opposite direction. Maybe he's calling you to reconcile with somebody that you've been at odds with and you've been holding this grudge against them. But he's asking you to do the hard work of going to them and owning up to your own part, your own sin, repenting, making things right and loving them. But maybe you think he's being unrealistic. It's too hard. So you've run in the opposite direction. Maybe you're just straight running. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you. Or maybe you've been coming for a while, but you've, you've only been coming. You've kind of checked out. You've not been pressing into the Lord. But he's getting your attention today. The second thing I pray that we see is that the sovereign Lord faithfully pursues Jonah. Oh, Jonah's reluctant and he's running. But God in this story faithfully pursues Jonah. Let's pick back up in verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Well, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord. So these these men who had their own gods are now crying to Jonah's God. They're crying out to Yahweh. They cried out to the Lord, Oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers, they swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. To those who cling to worthless idols, those who cling to worthless idols, rather, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Hear that again. Those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Starting in verse 4, 
of chapter 1, we see the Lord's personal involvement in this story. His loyalty, his covenant love is expressed in his pursuit of Jonah. The Lord provided a great wind on the sea. Oh, this is God's faithful interruption of Jonah's escape plan. God stands in the way of your escape plan today. God graciously and lovingly gets in our way when we want nothing to do with him. When we're being reluctant and running in the opposite direction, he gets in our way. The sailors of chapter 1, it's interesting, are experienced sailors. They're in the storm of their lives and they're freaking out. They're terrified. They're screaming. They're frantically adjusting the lines. They're crying out to their gods. They're so desperate, they begin to throw cargo overboard. No one does this unless you think you're going to die. The waves are massive, the rain is torrential, the boat is threatening to break up. Terror has gripped the hearts of the sailors. God is in the storm. God is in the storm. But where's Jonah? Well, Jonah's in a deep sleep. (laughs) He's confronted by the pagan sea captain to call on his God. Wake up, Jonah. What are you doing? The irony is strong. These pagan pagan sea captain and his sailors are are telling Jonah to seek his God. In the midst of Jonah's reluctance, we see responsiveness from the pagan sailors. They display mercy. They display pity and compassion on Jonah. They display fear of the Lord and acknowledgement that, quote, Yahweh does as he pleases. That's what they said. Yahweh does as he pleases. Shouldn't this be what Jonah is saying? Stunned by the violence of the great storm, most likely seasick and disoriented, having been shown mercy by the sailors, Jonah eventually tells them, hey, pick me up and throw me into the sea. It's my fault. And he's thrown into the chaos of the sea. But the sovereign Lord who provided the storm, he provides once again. God's Sovereignty is being highlighted in this book. We talked, Trevor talked about highlighting God's grace. These stories of grace, these local stories are highlighting what God is up to in our lives. As we read the book of Jonah, I I pray that God's sovereignty is just coming alive. That you see his sovereign hand in pursuing Jonah. It's being highlighted for us. These provisions show us God's reign over the chaos of nature. And over the chaos of Jonah's heart as well. So check it out. Jonah is sinking into the heart of the sea. He's thinking he's going to drown. Right? That's the logical conclusion. Throw me into the sea. He's possibly in and out of consciousness as he begins to sink. When the fish suddenly comes upon him. Imagine the feelings of terror knowing he's about to be swallowed alive. If Jonah at this point is even conscious and then finally waking up to discover he is alive, but in a fish. Jonah was never in a safer place than where he was in that moment. I know that might sound crazy. He was never in a safer place than where he was in that moment. After hours of silence and darkness, Jonah finds himself in a place of mysterious safety. And this is where he 
He prays to the Lord. God got his attention. Now, there have been a lot of oh my moments as I read the Bible in my faith. Every time I read Jonah, I have this oh my moment. Are you aware of places like this, this mysterious safety that God brings you there to keep you still and to capture your heart again? Places of desperation, that's where he was. Places of uncertainty regarding the outcome of our circumstances. These are places of death. Death to our rebellious hearts. Death to our personal agendas or expectations. Death to our prejudice and pride, to our jealousy and our fear and our selfish ambition. These are places of prayer. This place of of mysterious safety where God is bringing us and capturing us and cornering us. Now you might ask, what kind of fish was this? I don't know. I don't know what kind of fish this was. How did Jonah survive this ordeal? I don't know. Those details are not provided and we have to really keep ourselves from the distraction of trying to answer those questions. This story isn't about Jonah and a whale. It's just not. This is the story about Jonah's conflict with God. Specifically what Jonah, what Jonah knows about God's character. What Jonah knows about God's character is that he is a God of compassion and mercy. And if Jonah were to would actually go preach to the Ninevites, to the Assyrians, well, there's a chance in Jonah's mind that he knows that they could actually come to a place of repentance and he wants nothing to do with that. These are his enemies. Yet, in this place of mysterious safety, he prays this sweet prayer. In my distress, I call to you, Lord. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Grace is sweet when it's directed at you, isn't it? Jonah recognizes in verse 3 who's, who's, who did it. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. Oh, the sailors hurled him into the sea, you might say. No, Jonah knew who was behind it all. In this place of mysterious safety... All of a sudden, his heart is being softened, his eyes are being opened, and Jonah's recognizing who actually brought him to this place. Verse 4, in the the midst of all this, he says, I will look again. I'm going to look again. When death seemed unavoidable, he says, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now, why is that significant? The place Jonah was running from Remember the Lord's presence? He wanted nothing to do with the Lord's presence. Now, in this place of mysterious safety, in the midst of the belly of this fish, he's actually actually looking towards and praying towards God's presence, towards Jerusalem itself. The place he was running from now is the place he's finding rest in again, God's presence. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols... Forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Now, you might say, man, that feels a bit out of place. It's really not. Jonah had real life idols that he was struggling with. Cultural idols. A national interest for his nation, for Israel, that rose above God's interest for the nations. His personal agenda was so big, it outweighed God's agenda. These were cultural idols. These are hard to see. 
self-righteousness, feelings of moral or spiritual superiority over his enemies. He didn't want anything to do with their salvation. This is idolatry. These are things that, that, need, that Jonah needs to repent of and get rid of so he can focus on God's agenda rather than his own. This is hypocrisy. Jonah's idolatry got in the way of his view of God's grace. Grace was fine as long as it was directed towards the people Jonah thought it should be directed towards. But you start directing it towards my enemies? I'm not very happy about that. What about you? What thoughts of superiority or self-righteousness are in your way? Verse 9, there's this recognition of God's rule, cry of confidence and expectation. The Lord speaks to the fish then, and it obeys. I think this is, this is humorous. Jonah doesn't obey, but the pagan sea captain and the pagan sailors obey. The winds obey. The waters obey. The fish obeys. <laughs> and the fish vomits. He vomits a Jonah. Vomited out of the fish, humbled by God's grace, rescued from death, given a second chance, Jonah accepts his call. This is fantastic. So a rescued Jonah now proclaims judgment on his enemies. Let's read about it. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that, he will, so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways... He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Now, for all of you who struggle with the miraculous nature of the fish, here's the biggest miracle of the book. The Ninevites listen to Jonah and repent. They believed God. God's compassion is just falling off the page as we read this story. Are you ever tempted to feel that some sin that you committed, maybe in the past or even are struggling with today, puts you beyond the reach of God's grace? There is no sin that you have committed or are committing that puts you beyond the reach of God's grace. The Ninevites repent. Did, did you hear the description I gave of what the Assyrians and the Ninevites would boast in? At the beginning of this talk. 
Did you hear how serious a threat this nation was to Israel? Now, what did Nineveh look like in six months or two years? We don't know, but we do know 120 years later, Assyria is wiped off the map by Babylon, judged for its violence and wickedness. But some Ninevites of Jonah's generation were spared. God in his kindness reached into a bloodthirsty culture drenched in idolatry and he saves some. That's beautiful. That's grace. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Now you would think success story of the year, right? Come on, let's write a newsletter and spread the good news of what God's doing to Nineveh. It's actually Jonah's worst nightmare come true. Chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, just take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. We'll pause there. It all seems so wrong to Jonah. How could God pardon them? God keeps getting in the way of the future Jonah wants. Jonah's heart is in conflict with God's heart. Jonah's been rescued. Jonah's been shown grace. Jonah was rescued from the depth of, the, of, of death itself, from, from the depths of the sea, from the belly of a fish. And yet he's, he's still wrestling with God's mercy and compassion on his enemies. Jonah's heart is in conflict with God's heart. Jonah... Verse uh, chapter four, verse two, it's highlighting God's character. It's important for us to see this. Oh, Lord, is is this not what I said when I was still at home? What does he say? He says, you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. The Bible is emphasizing these truths again and again and again. We see this in Exodus 34. We see this in the minor prophets and the major prophets. They're highlighting God's character, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. This is the central expression of God's character in the Old Testament. This is loyal love. This is covenant mercy. It's never ending grace. We sang about it this morning. So God is being true to himself and Jonah is just, he's thinking, I knew it. 
You're being true to yourself. This is what I, I didn't want to happen. Finally, the sovereign Lord faithfully pursues Jonah again. He grew a vine for him to shelter him from the heat. And then he provided a worm who ate the vine and then sent the scorching wind and the sun. God's sovereignty again is highlighted and circled in red ink, if you've not noticed. The vine, the worm, the wind, he's sending these things. He's teaching Jonah. The Lord asked Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Angry enough to die? Really? Really, Jonah? I mean, have you ever felt that way? Something that God is doing in your life or maybe not doing, something you think he should be doing, you're just angry at him. Jonah was angry enough to die. Jonah wanted to die. He was ticked. Really, it's a a picture of self-pity. The magnifying glass turns inward on Jonah and his issues, his problems are just magnified. Jonah's values were completely distorted. Nothing mattered to Jonah at the moment except the vine, right? All of a sudden, his eyes are taken off the Ninevites and what God should have done to them. And now he's so angry about the vine, he wants to die. It seems silly. It happens to us all the time. We don't get what we want from God, maybe in the big picture, with the big picture of things in our life. And so we focus on something small and we get so angry. The magnifying glass turns inward. Self-pity shrinks everything down. Your whole world shrinks to the size of you. Problems are magnified and become disproportionate. That's what's happened in Jonah. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? All of a sudden now the vine and the worm become an illustration for Jonah. And, And God graciously uses it to set up some comparison for Jonah. But after this The story just stops. Every listener is drawn into the final question that God asks. What does God ask? Should I not be concerned about this great city? God's loving rebuke is aimed right at Jonah's heart. But it's as if Jonah just disappears from the story, leaving us in the path. So from listener to active participant, from audience member to being a part of the closing scene itself, we find that God's loving rebuke is actually aimed at the reader, at us. Because we're scratching our heads over what's happening too. And God is saying, shouldn't I be concerned about this great city? Do you know how deep and how rich my compassion really goes? How far it goes? Will your mercy and compassion be like mine? Is what God is challenging Jonah and us today with. Will your mercy and compassion be like mine? Because it's going to cost you something. It will. Yahweh would one day do what he asked Jonah to do. Do you know that? The Lord would one day do what he is asking and had asked Jonah to do. 
physically enter a hostile world and preach to his enemies. Does that sound familiar? God has done that in Christ. Christ took on flesh. He became a man. He entered a hostile world to preach to his enemies. He loves his enemies. Do our hearts reflect his? God's mercy and God's compassion on us should produce a generous overflow of mercy and compassion on others, enemies included. But let me just, you know this, but hear it. Hate and hypocrisy and double standard and stubbornness and self-pity, they don't go down easy. Anger and resentment, it doesn't go down easy. Bitterness. So are you running from God's call? Are you running from the call to show mercy and compassion like God has shown you? Oh, let's start at home. Let's, let's start at home. Let's start showing mercy and compassion to those who have wronged us. Let's reach out in love. And then let's go beyond our home to our neighbors and to our coworkers and to the people of our city and to other nations. Other nations that hate our nation. Let's have a disposition. Let's have a heart of compassion and mercy like our great God. What has God asked you to do? What is he asking you to do? Are you running? He's faithfully pursuing you. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the book of Jonah. Thank you for what you have done in Jonah to capture Jonah's heart and to teach us about your compassion, your mercy, and your heart for the nations. Would you, Lord, address areas of prejudice in our own hearts? Would you address areas of hatred and bitterness and resentment in our own lives? Lord, for any of us here today that would be running away from you and, and just not wanting to obey your call on their life, God, graciously and lovingly get their attention again, we pray. Thank you for getting our attention and showing us that those who cling to worthless idols, we forfeit the grace that could be theirs. So God, help us to lay every idol down. We don't want to forfeit the grace that could be ours. We want to look to your compassion and mercy. And we want to show that same compassion and mercy to others. Let it be the overflow of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.